Flexmuscle.com brings you Quantum Physiques, building strength and power for your mind, your body, and your spirit. Alternative medicine, muscle growth, mood enhancement, motivation, putting your mind at ease, harnessing your maximum potential. Quantum Physiques, here's your host, Brian Cunningham. And welcome to another episode of Quantum Physiques, where we strive to build strength and power for mind, body, and spirit. I'm your host, Brian Cunningham, of course, joining you here. Tonight, we have a very special guest, very special segment, actually. For all you guys out there that have been toiling in the gym and looking for the next new anabolic agents, we have something here that's going to blow your mind, something that no one's really ever discussed before, but we have an exclusive here on Quantum Physiques. The new class of anabolic agents that are legal, safe, and can help you build muscle and potentially make some significant gains in the gym. Just a quick note, I actually saw that movie, um, The Master, this past weekend. Phenomenal movie. I think really everyone should get out there and check it out because, as we all know, everyone has some form of guru or mentor we all look towards. And this movie really tears that apart, uh, kind of strips it down to the bone and shows both the, as listeners on the show will always attest to, the, the pure debauchery, I mean, not, not debauchery, just the, the, I'm not sure what you want to say, the dark side of human nature, how so many of us are just lost, wandering souls in search of somebody, some father figure, some Yahweh, some thunder God, some you know, mentor, a savior, somebody to save us from our own existence. And this movie, although the critics didn't really go into this angle, I really saw, you know, deep elements of this master, you know, um, pupil relationship and how dysfunctional it is. Pretty interesting. And we'll definitely get into that more on future segments of this show. Also, I know I promised you guys a part two on the intermittent fasting. Um, I guess the controversy there, the new article on Mercola. Written by, and this is not an ad hominem attack, but the guy who wrote that was the same guy that said whey protein was toxic. So that has caused me to just pause for a second and and just take a deeper look at what he's saying here about the only way to do uh, intermittent fasting for best results. And I actually had um, uh, one of our previous guests here, Professor Andrew, of course, phenomenal researcher, weigh in on that on the Facebook page. So I'm going to definitely discuss his opinions on intermittent fasting and see if we can get to the bottom of this on how we can maximize results and minimize the pain, of course, by using uh, you know judicious application of a daily intermittent fast. But I want to turn now to um, a special guest who's been on the show before. He is a medical doctor who has a long history of research um, into various forms of pharmacopoeia. Um, quite an intelligent guy who's also an avid uh, you know, fitness slash bodybuilder enthusiast. I think for the sake of this show and for the sake of his future uh, career, we're going to keep his name anonymous. Perhaps we can use the name, the common name, John Doe. Welcome, John Doe, to Quantum Physiques. <laughs> so did I give you the proper introduction? <laughs> Yeah, that, that's fine. That's fine, Brian. You know, it was funny is I'm actually intermittently fasting right now, and uh, you know, part part of the reason is when you live in a hospital, uh, you don't always get to eat when you want to. But actually, the, the bigger reason is is because I personally am a believer um, of the intermittent fasting uh, methodology. If you will, I think there's actually a lot of research that supports it, and I'm very interested to you know to hear. Uh, your thoughts on this maybe another time. But the reason that I'm here is actually is I want to talk about a very interesting anabolic agent that's everywhere that I don't hear anyone talking about. Yeah, no, you mentioned it to me briefly, and I was like, 
kind of surprised because I never really considered this type classification of, of drug um, as an anabolic agent. And, you know, of course I have some questions. So why don't you go ahead and just tell us what your research uncovered and then we can get into some questions and yeah. see exactly what you think. So what would, what, would I, what would you say if I told you that this drug was something that's prescribed to, to you know, millions of Americans and is uh, so beneficial to health that cardiologists actually think that it should be in our water supply? Oh, you mean aspirin, of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, aspirin, you know, aspirin might have some hemolytic qualities, as it, as it turned out, because of uh, blunting you know, the inflammatory response in some cases. But, but actually, I'm talking about statins. You mean statin inhibitors for high cholesterol levels, right? That's right, lipid-lowering drugs, but specifically the, the drugs that I'm talking about are statins, uh, things like Crestor and, you know, Torvastatin, Pravastatin, Simvastatin, Resuvastatin, all, you know, all these different drugs that were statin are the class of drugs that I'm talking about. And this was absolutely mind-boggling to me because, you know, the, when I think of statins, the first thing that comes into my mind is muscle pain, myalgias is the word that we use, rhabdomyolysis, uh, you know, you know, People have been concerned about maybe uh, liver function panels and liver toxicity. Lower and, testosterone you know, levels too. I always thought they had lower t they lower testosterone because they deplete the basic building block of testosterone, which is cholesterol. Well, you know, there's there's some evidence that supports that as well. Although I actually just looked at a paper and was looking at the testosterone response, and this particular paper that I was just looking at this afternoon suggested that the total uh, testosterone lowered, but the free testosterone didn't. And as it uh, turns out, I spoke to your friend, Dr. Hauser earlier this afternoon, so consider this discussion today a primer. Now, the jury's not out, but I think this is very, very interesting. I'm, I'm looking at a paper right now, and the title of the paper is this. This comes from the Journal of Gerontology, uh, the 2007, uh, volume 62A, number 10. Statins in dietary and serum cholesterol are associated with increased lean mass following resistance training. So this is a 2007 paper. And what, what's interesting about this paper to me, Brian, is that you know, there's lots of ways that we can do science wrong. And I'm looking at this paper and I'm trying to punch holes in it. And I'm thinking, well, you know, maybe some of these guys were on hormone replacement or maybe some of these guys were taking more protein or maybe some of these guys had you know, more creatine in the diet because they were eating red meat. And these, these researchers thought about all of this stuff when they put together uh, the study. And for the things that they could control, they did. For example, everybody in the study got post-workout protein supplementation, whether they were taking statins or not. They did a statistical analysis to look if hormone replacement had a statistical difference in terms of the lean mass that was accrued. It did not. Um, so what they did is they had the, uh, these older uh, retired individuals, men and women, trained for six weeks before the start of the study. The reason that they did this is they wanted to make sure that there wasn't any uh, bias to the results from you know, some people being really high responders to new resistance training. So they wanted people to have you know, at least six weeks of experience before they started the study because they really wanted to look at the effects that statins had on uh, skeletal muscle. Sure. Now, what's, fasc what's fascinating about this is the reason that the researchers did this, is they, their, their hypothesis was is that because statins cause myalgias, or muscle pain. And because statins can rarely cause rhabdomyolysis or muscle breakdown, that can actually be very dangerous. They were thinking that maybe statins could lead to sarcopenia, you know, muscle wasting in older people. And that okay. that might be a concern about one use. So they weren't expecting to learn that statins were actually found to be anabolic in the study. Now let me actually go down to the data here so I can explain to you 
what kind of data we're actually looking at. When they split the data up between people that were taking no stem versus a torvastatin slash simvastatin, so they, they kind of lump those two stems together, and then they compare that with pravastatin and lovastatin. What they found was that the individuals uh, taking no statin whatsoever, they broke them down into to, uh, either low dietary cholesterol or high dietary cholesterol. So within the low dietary cholesterol group, they actually lost a negligible amount of lean body mass. So six weeks of uh, resistance training, low cholesterol diet, older folks, they actually lost a little bit of muscle mass, but it's not statistically significant. You look at the high cholesterol diet folks, and they gained, you know, a little bit over a pound, I'm sorry, not a pound, a kilogram of lean mass. Okay? 2.2 pounds of muscle, but, yeah. Yeah, and this is over a six-week period of time. Okay? okay. Now, what's interesting, though, is let's look at the statin group, the pravastatin and the lovastatin group, specifically. The low cholesterol diet, pravastatin and lovastatin group, gained about the same amount of muscle mass as the high-cholesterol-fed individuals without a statin. It was a little over a kilogram. The high-cholesterol-fed uh, individuals who were on pravastatin or lovastatin gained almost five kilograms of muscle during that period of time. In six weeks? Correct. Wow, that's pretty impressive. So when, when they did a statistical analysis on this data, it was very statistically significant, which means that it's not likely due to just an error in the study. Sure. Um, but but the other, you know, the, the word of significance that we're most uh, familiar with is, you know, the, the results were significant. And, and I, I don't mean by the statistical analysis. I mean by, you're talking like 10 pounds of muscle versus maybe two pounds of muscle when you compare the two groups. Sure. Now, What's, what's interesting, you know, what got me thinking about this a long time ago was there was a, there's a bodybuilding author named Darkham who is, uh, is very mysterious about who he is. You may be familiar with him. Yeah, yeah, Darkham on the meso, the meso board, that's right. Yeah, yeah, he's a pretty compelling author and he writes about a lot of hardcore stuff. I remember him writing about Ronnie Coleman and how Ronnie Coleman had started taking a statin and how everyone thought this was going to hurt his bodybuilding career and sure enough, Ronnie Coleman comes out bigger and better than ever after he started his statin. Ah, and Ronnie Coleman's secret on earth, finally. <laughs> it's not IGF <laughs> and MGF. <laughs> and no, well, this, is, this is years ago, but Darkham postulated that the statins might have actually inadvertently helped Ronnie Coleman. And I'm reading this article, and at this time he didn't, he didn't have his data because this, uh, this article predates 2007. And he didn't really offer any mechanisms as to why this would be. He, he very loosely kind of implied that, you know, the statins increase your body's susceptibility to muscle damage, and so maybe the hypertrophic response is heightened with any you know, given muscular load. But there's no molecular basis for what he was talking about. But it, that, that definitely turned my attention to thinking about statins and muscle. Uh, a number of years ago, I came across a mouse study. It was looking at whether or not statins were anabolic in muscle and bone. And in this particular animal study, it actually looked like the statins were anabolic. But I was thinking to myself, you know, this is a mouse model, and while I always get excited about animal data that may translate to humans, you know, statins are used really, really prolifically everywhere. And, uh, you know, I've never heard reports of people saying that they're really anabolic, other than this, you know, report by Darkham, which is, you know, one bodybuilder, one article, without really a lot of evidence. No one else is really using them. Everyone else is still saying that they think statins are bad, at least for muscle. 
And then now I see this particular paper. So I had a conversation with Dr. Hauser about this earlier, and you know, this was also news to him. I, I think this is pretty interesting because not a lot of people know about this. And his concerns wow. are regarding stems and, and uh, testosterone. Keep in mind, uh, it's likely that Ronnie Coleman probably had some exogenous source of androgen in his body at the time that he was competing for the mm, Probably. <laughs> uh, you know, if I had to, if I had to make a guess. Yeah. So, you know, the effect, the effect of, of statins on either free or total testosterone in that particular vignette are, uh, you know, completely irrelevant. Okay. But still, these, these particular subjects in this study, uh, you know, whether they were taking hormone replacement or not, definitely had a statistically significant and real-world significant effect from the statins. This is Brian Cunningham, Quantum Physique. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this quick break. Quantum Physique. Building strength and power for your mind, body, and spirit. If you train hard, you need to recover hard. Training elevates cortisol, but so does stress and tension. Stress is the number one health risk you face today. and not only causes you to put on abdominal fat, but it's also one of the contributing factors in the top six causes of death, which includes heart disease and cancer. But now you can relieve that stress, rebuild, recover, and feel great with fast-acting Gabitrol. Gabitrol works quickly to help you improve relaxation and recovery, reduce cortisol, elevating stress, and reduce binge eating. Plus, Gabitrol will also help you to get that deep, restful sleep. Warriors are built, not born. And now you can build a better body with fast-acting Gabitrol. Recommended by New York Times number one best-selling author, Dr. John Gray. Gabitrol is available now at rxstress.com. P28 High Protein Bread is the official bread of RX Muscle. Are you looking to incorporate more protein into your meals or just want to enjoy bread again? Then look no further. Try the 100% natural P28 High Protein Bread. P28 High Protein Bread is a formulated revolutionary breakthrough product. Packed with whey protein isolate, 14 grams of protein per slice, 12 grams of carbs, 8 essential amino acids, and made with 100% whole wheat. Fear bread no more. Build a better body with P28. Order today at HighProteinBread.com. P28 is also now available at Bodybuilding.com and many other retailers. Order now. HighProteinBread.com. P28 Bread. RX Muscle approved. Fusion Bodybuilding makes bodybuilding's strongest supplements, and they're committed to giving back to you. Fusion Bodybuilding not only want to promote the bodybuilding lifestyle, but they also want to help build the sport. Bodybuilding is all they do. It's their obsession. You know the feeling. That's why you're here. Visit Fusion Bodybuilding at FusionBodybuilding.com or join in on the conversation on the Fusion Bodybuilding fan page on Facebook, where you'll find IFBB Pro Q&As, contest giveaways, and nothing but in-depth bodybuilding talk. Fusion Bodybuilding, bodybuilding's strongest supplements. Head over to FusionBodybuilding.com today. Quest Bars from Quest Nutrition is Dave Palumbo's favorite protein bar. It's the only bar that's not simply a candy bar in disguise. There's no sugar or sugar alcohols, no soy, and zero trans fat. Quest Bars contain only the highest grade protein from whey and milk protein isolates. Quest Bars are also the lowest carb bar available, only 4 to 5 grams, and they all come from nuts. Quest Bars are also gluten-free. Quest Bars were specifically made for people 
people who are serious about their physiques and who want the highest quality ingredients. Best of all, they taste great. Learn more about Quest Bars by visiting QuestProteinBar.com and try them out for yourself. Check out QuestProteinBar.com now. RxMuscle.com. Now you have a place to turn when you want the truth on bodybuilding, diet, and exercise. Up to the minute news and more. Visit the RxMuscle.com forums featuring celebrity Q&As with IFBB professional athletes, top amateurs, and the brightest minds in the industry. Listen to our weekly radio shows including Heavy Muscle Radio, Muscle Girls Inc., After Hours, and more. Contest coverage, videos, even our own social networking site, Rx Muscle Place. Visit RxMuscle.com. And welcome back to Quantum Physiques with your host, Brian Cunningham. I mean, the one thing I'm wondering, though, is it seems like the high cholesterol group had the best results. So you need to make sure that you actually have a certain minimum threshold of cholesterol. Because, for example, uh, my cholesterol levels are typically in the 120 to 130 range. They're pretty low. So for me to have to get on this type of an agent, right, or someone like me, I need to make sure that I'm loading my body with plenty of cholesterol, correct? Right. Well, you know, you and I are kind of of a feather in the sense that, you know, we want to have our cake and eat it too, right? I want to live a long, healthy life, and so do you. But you want to live a long, healthy life as a myopic, you know, skinny guy who can't lift a pencil, right? And so if you, if you actually look at this data and what they're actually suggesting, is first of all, keep in mind that dietary cholesterol and serum cholesterol are only loosely correlated. You know, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that eating an egg a day can have a lot of benefits and doesn't significantly impact your serum cholesterol. Okay, so the next, the next thing that I want you to, to recognize is people that engage in the bodybuilding lifestyle oftentimes do things that put themselves at a cardiovascular risk. Would you agree with that statement? Yeah, sure. I mean, um, maybe like not doing cardio, um, you know, high amounts of animal fat sometimes maybe, um, you know, taking exogenous, exogenous agents that may cause blood lipid alterations. Absolutely. For example, anabolic and androgenic steroids have been shown uh, pretty reliably to uh, increase LDL levels and lower HDL levels, which we know from a cardiovascular perspective increases risk. Yeah. Now, we know that if you have two different individuals with the same LDL level, that, that doesn't necessarily mean that they'll have the same progression of atherosclerotic disease. There are other factors, such as inflammation. The more that your LDL uh, cholesterol gets oxidized, which is a, a product of inflammation, the more likely you are to have atherosclerosis. The, uh, the worse that your insulin sensitivity is, uh, the more likely you are to have atherosclerotic progression. But the bottom line is we know that there's a lot of old-time bodybuilders have, who have used particular bodybuilding drugs and they've engaged in you know, a high saturated fat diet because it helped them build muscle who have had cardiovascular disease as a result. You know? And so what, what I'm thinking is, is you know, this might be a really, really good thing for bodybuilders to start considering. It's, it's, if they already have risk factors for developing cardiovascular disease and they show up at their doctor's office and they look like otherwise healthy fit people, Maybe we should start thinking about uh, statins as being a more appropriate drug for bodybuilders now that we now that we realize that maybe the picture isn't so clear about statins harming muscle growth. And in fact, from this study, it looks like they actually build muscle. Really, what I'm getting at is the American guidelines for treating high cholesterol, in my opinion, are not nearly aggressive enough. Uh, typically, we don't start treating LDL levels until we get around, you know, 130, um, which 
if you look at the rate of atherosclerotic progression on average for people, we know that an LDL-130 causes atherosclerotic progression. When you go to the hospital and you see people that roll through doors with heart attacks, they've had heart attacks because of vessel occlusion and plaques that build up from high cholesterol over time. And at the time that their levels get so bad, their disease and their risk factors get so bad that the guidelines suggest that we do something about it, it's already too late. Sure. Make sense? So in other yeah. words, you see a fairly healthy young guy and he's got, you know, he's got an LDL of 124, he's got an HDL of 35, he's using anabolic steroids, he's eating, you know, a lot of horse meat or red meat or whatever, you know, whatever the guys like to do. And because of what we know in terms of this particular vignette, that individual would actually have a high likelihood of developing down the road atherosclerotic disease. Yeah, no, it um, makes by sense. The guide, by the guidelines today, though, we wouldn't treat them with a statin. And part of the problems with guidelines is, you know, there, there's things to love and hate about the way that we do guidelines in medicine. We're always trying to do no harm. We're always trying to do the very best that we can. And we're always trying to go off of the best data that we have. So data for using statins to prevent cardiovascular events is huge. These drugs are actually amazing. The risk of myalgias and rhabdomyolysis is fairly low. Myalgias just means muscle pain. That's a pretty small risk. You know, I have muscle pain every day because I work out. It's, really, it's not a big deal. When you look at a very short-term trial, like a five-year trial of people who already have atherosclerotic disease and you put them on a statin, guess what happens? I have no idea. Well, they have a dramatic reduction in events. We're talking, you know, numbers like 25%. And so in medicine, when you have a reduction in disease, you know, 25% over a five-year period of time with people who are already sick, that's actually really phenomenal. And so you might ask the question, well, why don't we just recommend that we give statins to everybody just to prevent atherosclerosis from happening? And the reason is, is because no one has the time or the resources to put together a 20 or 30 or 40-year study that would actually demonstrate that primary prevention using statins is actually a good idea. We all kind of intuitively know that it is because of the data that we've seen, but to actually put a study together like that would be so extraordinarily expensive, uh, no, no one would ever be able to get the funding. And also, how are you going to follow people for 30 or 40 years without them uh, the study? It's sure. really difficult and really expensive to do a study like that, so it hasn't been done. And so long as that study's not done, it's very unlikely that the, uh, the guidelines are going to change, suggesting that we use statins more aggressively for primary prevention. Sure, that said, sure. though, most physicians understand how safe statins are, and most physicians are comfortable prescribing statins. So if you have mild dyslipidemia, if you have low HDL or you have high LDL or even borderline, and this is something that you're worried about, um, these are not difficult drugs to obtain. And my, my recommendation, my thought is, is if you think that you are at risk for cardiovascular disease, we know that statins are protective. And there's also a lot of data that suggests, and this comes out of both uh, you know, Harvard as well as some other places, that if you get your LDL, forget about HDL for a second, you know, reverse cholesterol transport is important, but if you were just to look at LDL levels, we know that consistently when you get LDL levels really, really low, and by really, really low, I mean below 60 into the 50s, maybe into the 40s, you can actually start to reverse atherosclerotic disease. So not only do you stabilize the disease that you've already developed, but you can actually get some degree of reversal. And the question that I have for you is that if you know that, if you know that uh, when you have disease, the starting statins 
uh, can reduce morbidity and mortality by 25%. And if you know that you, you, if you can prevent disease or actually reverse disease by getting your LDL lower than 60, where would you want your LDL to be? You want to be low, of course. Yeah, and then there's, there's one more consideration as well, and that is, let's say that you were to look at an entire population of people, and you were to age match them, and you were to LDL match them, so that each uh, strip of data that you were looking at, looking at, everybody was the same except for one thing. So let's say that we looked at all the individuals who had an LDL of 90. So they all have an LDL of 90, they're all the same age, they all have like the same uh, comorbidities and risk factors and everything, and the only thing that's different between group A and group B is that group A is on a statin, and group B got their LDL to that level by natural means. Who do you suppose would have the lower risk of cardiovascular events? I guess you think they'd be equal. Well, I would have actually guessed, you know, before I was aware of the data, that the people that got naturally... Yeah. The natural group would be better. That's what, that's what I would have thought because that's my thought right, would have sure. been, you know, well, you, you know, there might be some off-target effects of the drug. Yes. If they've gotten their natural means, maybe they're eating a better diet, which might confer other benefits. Sure. Maybe they're Good exercising, point. which has other benefits. You know, if you think about it, diet and exercise does much more for us than lowering our LDL. Of course, sure. And it has uh, all kinds of benefits, even beyond, you know, the cardiovascular disease. And there's all kinds of things like endothelial signaling that change with exercise. So, I mean, if I had to really, like, make a good, educated guess before being aware of the data, I would have said that the natural group, because, look, they've got the same LDL level, and the one group has to be on a statin, and the other got there without the statin. Sure. But as it turns out, the data actually says that the people that are on the statin have a lower rate of events. And we think that part of the reason is, is because statins have both endothelial effects that are positive. That means that it modifies the signaling of the blood vessels in a good way. So the blood vessels are more able to relax when they're supposed to. The other thing is, is that statins actually have antioxidant effects as well. This is very well documented in the literature. And so, of course, when I read this, I was surprised, but the, the data was convincing and compelling. And so this started to change the way that I was thinking about this class of drugs because I used to think about them as muscle-eating, liver-hating, you know, bad drugs that a bodybuilder would never want to use. Sure. And we just use them for, you know, old fat people that need the cardiovascular protection. Yeah. Boy, has my mind changed now. Now, like I said before, the jury's not out. I, I still have some questions that, that we need to look into regarding the endocrine effects and, you know, is there anything else that we haven't considered? But this data is extraordinarily compelling because now you have a drug that I think is appropriate for primary prevention of cardiovascular disease that has actually been shown in, in one human study and now multiple animal studies to actually be anabolic to scalpel muscle. And this was in a human study, right? Just so I remind the audience, that was in a human study too, yeah. wasn't it? This is a human study. I will repeat the name. This is a 2007 yeah. Journal of Gerontology. The title is Status and Dietary and Serum Cholesterol are Associated with increased lean mass following resistance training. Yeah, Unfortunately, like, the full text is not freely available. Brian, I sent you a copy of it for your review. Yeah. Uh, but people should be able to access the abstract that at least shows the summary conclusions. You're looking at 11 pounds in six them. weeks. This is like, you know, an anabolic-like results, definitely. Anabolic steroid-like results. That's right. I mean, it's, it's what bodybuilder wouldn't be happy with, you know, a lean mass gain of 10 pounds over six weeks. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, exactly. That's phenomenal, right? Now, now these, these were older people, but you would think that the anabolic response would be blunted in older people. And frankly, 
these were old people that probably had suboptimal hormone levels, except for those who were taking hormone replacement. But again, the hormone replacement individuals were not statistically different from the non-hormone replacement individuals. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's definitely a lot of questions here. We might need to have a, have a part two on this. But the first thing I want to ask you is, uh, you know, what about risks and side effects? I mean, I know there was a, f- a few doctors. Julian Whitaker is a famous doctor that petitioned the FDA to have a warning um, on the insert of all these stat inhibitors that they deplete CoQ10 levels, cardiac CoQ10 levels, which is a critical issue, he thought, um, you know, in, in ischemic events or whatever. So I'm just kind of wondering, are there any side effects that maybe people should know about uh, risk factors? You know, that's a really good question, and we do know that statins can deplete CoQ10. As of now, I am not sure what the relevance of that is, because okay. if depleting CoQ10 is doing something bad, uh, the good stuff the statins are doing in terms of re- reducing the cardiovascular events is so good sure, that, that we're, was, not seeing, yeah. we're not seeing the result of a negative effect in the population studies that we've done. That doesn't mean that there aren't some adverse off-target effects that we're just not really aware of, but it seems that they're small enough, though, that we're, we're not really seeing them glaring at us. Yeah, yeah. No, I gotcha. Um, so that's, that's why I say the jury isn't out. I'm not saying that this is a conclusive, you should go on a statin, and statins are definitively anabolic. What I am saying, though, is you should think about a statin. You should think about your cardiovascular risks. You should realize that atherosclerotic disease actually tends to reverse when you get your LDL below 60. You should also realize that there's at least some compelling evidence that suggests the statins may be anabolic. This study, I think, was very well done. And I want to get your gears turning. Again, I think this is, this is really something where uh, future discussion is warranted. I don't hear other people talking about this. Yeah, no, sure. I mean, a couple of questions. And again, I want to urge the listening audience to be very cautious before you run out and start looking for some black market statins. You really want to get all the facts here first, which will definitely be a part two maybe next week. Because I do want to know, number one, John, there are um, a lot of different types of drugs in this category, and I think you may want to uh, delineate which ones, I guess, are the most anabolic, obviously. Number two is, um, you know, what about the fact that, um, you know, people need to be careful with, I guess, again, assessing their cholesterol levels before they begin this kind of stuff, too. I mean, uh, you know, you don't want to have your cholesterol levels go too low, I guess, right? Well, you know, that's a really good question, Brian, because, you know, we used to think that you could have cholesterol levels that were too low, right? Yeah. Um, but the data suggests, though, that actually, um, at least from a cardiology perspective, and I'm not a cardiologist, but I've been spending a lot of time with cardiologists recently reviewing this data, uh, they would say the lower your LDL, the better. And, and they, have, they have thought about and wondered about if LDL being too low causes problems. But from a morbidity and mortality perspective, it looks like the lower you go, the better, which is counter to what we thought years ago. What about depression, though? I thought mental illness and depression were associated with low cholesterol levels. Well, you're, now you're talking about more off-target effects that I'm not prepared okay. to talk about today. I think this is probably a good topic for a follow-up discussion. Sure. Um, from my experience with prescribing and using statins, though, depression is not a, a huge problem or side effect that I've encountered within clinical practice. Okay. Let's go, go briefly back, and I know we're probably running out of time, but let's go briefly back to the data because you were asking me a couple questions about which statins are the most anabolic, because there is a difference. There was an atorvastatin and simvastatin group. They, they clustered this data together. So I can't tell you atorvastatin versus simvastatin, which one was better. But atorvastatin and simvastatin was the, was the uh, statin group that was less anabolic than the other statin group. So just to give you some numbers, for the, uh, for the high cholesterol diet population in total, 
people not taking a statin at all gained a little over one kilogram of lean mass. The individuals that were taking, I guess you could say they were almost two, two kilograms of lean mass. The individuals who had a high cholesterol diet who were taking either a torvastatin or simvastatin had three kilograms gain of lean mass. The individuals that were taking pravastatin or a lovastatin and had a high cholesterol diet had nearly five kilograms of lean mass gained. Yeah. So it appears that either pravastatin or lovastatin are the ones that are most anabolic, according to this data. Keep in mind that this is only one study. Yeah. And keep in mind that depending on your cardiovascular risk, you may want to use a statin that's going to get your LDL the lowest, regardless of its anabolic effect. So I'm not suggesting that we necessarily use these agents as anabolics. I'm really trying to suggest that we shouldn't necessarily be afraid of them for having muscle-damaging effects. And I yeah, think no, I, I see what you're saying. Sure. Because it seems paradoxical and counterintuitive. And I realize that we're running out of time, so I want to leave you with just one more thought, and that is, you know, it's, it's great to see data that looks promising, but whenever you see an association uh, in a study like this, you have to wonder, well, what's actually happening? Why would statins be anabolic? And this paper actually discusses that in some detail, okay? And what it comes down to is uh, there are transverse RNAs, they're called sex RNAs, that are actually inhibited by statins. And I'm actually scanning through the uh, paper right now to see if I can find the, the part. It's, it's actually, uh, the, the long name is uh, isopentylation of selenocysteine transverse RNAs. Okay. And statins reduce these sex RNAs. Now, they go on to say that selenic protein N has been linked to myogenesis and myoregeneration. And so they actually did a mutation, uh, transgenic mouse model, where they actually knocked out sex RNAs. When they did this, they were expecting that these uh, mice were going to have some type of uh, you know, muscular dystrophy. And what they actually found was that there was a 50% increase in muscle over the wild-type mice. Now, that doesn't mean that this is definitively the mechanism as to why statins seem to have this anabolic effect in the study, but I, I think it's a good thing that in this particular paper, they at least postulated one mechanism that could be contributing to the anabolic effect. Sure, sure. Interesting, huh? You could definitely go on some HRT and some statins and, uh, and you get jacked in your 50s and 60s even. <laughs> well, I guess here's the final note. If you were to talk to most cardiologists, they would tell you that they think statins should be in the water. These drugs are phenomenally safe, and the benefit that they bring to patients in terms of the reduction of mortality and morbidity related to cardiovascular disease is very, very large. And so when you consider that recommendation, and then you have the understanding of this particular study, I think this warrants a second look by those who are involved in, in uh, bodybuilding and fitness. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. And I think you need to have a part two on this so we can explore this uh, controversial topic further, actually. Uh, John, I want to thank you. John Doe, our guest here uh, on Quantum Physiques, discussing the new anabolic agent, uh, Ronnie Coleman's secret to the uh, eight, nine-time Olympia championship has been unearthed here on Quantum Physiques. It's statins. And we will get into a part two as well as part two of intermittent fasting next week on Quantum Physiques. So once again, thanks for tuning in. If you guys could like our Facebook page, that's Quantum Physiques on Facebook. And I'll post as much as I can of this study on that page for you guys to look at more in detail. So once again, this is Brian Cunningham, your host. Stay tuned next week for another great show. Thanks for listening. Quantum Physiques with Brian Cunningham is dedicated to harnessing the power of the holy grail of health, fitness, lifestyle, and 
success. And you'll hear Quantum Physics every week.